Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. In today's episode, the main content is Andy answering a question that he received in class about discernment. Is that right? Sort of, yeah. Awesome. And uh, is there anything else you want to say before we jump in? Let's roll. Well, as always, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. So I got a quick mention for my book. I'm, I'm just going to mention what I want to read this week. I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to First Things podcast a while back. And the they, the author, the the writer, or the, the podcaster, sorry, had Eric Metaxas on. And Eric Metaxas is a figure that I know pretty well because he wrote a really deplorable biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, now, not everyone's going to agree with me on that one, but I'm right and I can prove it. Um, but at the same time, he's a really great communicator and writer. I heard him speak on the topic. The guy's amazing when it comes to communication. He's And he's written a bunch of books. Um, but I actually have a book of his that I really want to read. It's called Is Atheism Dead? And I, I heard him interviewed on this. And what he essentially, he's not an apologist. He's, he's just a, a, like a public intellectual kind of thing. Um, and, and he's going to go through like what he thinks is amazing information that's out there that not enough people know about. So it's more of like a popularizing book, which is, it really fits his model of, of what he's been doing. But anyways, it really seems interesting. So I can't rate it at all. And I don't even know if it'll be good, but I'm really intrigued. So is Atheism Dead by Eric Metaxas? Sounds fascinating to me. It does sound interesting. Uh, here, I did realize that there was something we wanted to mention. It, we just were talking about it. But it fits in Books and Business because it is a Books and Business mm. uh, sent in from Pastor Ben oh, yeah. Simons up in Minnesota. What's up, Ben? And just a reminder that if you have completed a book and you'd like to email us a short blurb about it and give it a rating, we are... I think now in a better position to actually mention those. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, th- what happened was I had an iPhone that like would give me notifications of those emails and then I got a new phone. And so for a very long time, I wasn't seeing emails come in. Really yeah. It, 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 I actually see them, which is good. So two books from pastor Ben, and then I have a book as well, uh, as a kid's book called Paul's big letter by J Aaron White. And Ben, Pastor Ben, gives it a seven or eight on the Thinkling's goodness scale. He says that it seems like it's a pretty objective walkthrough or explanation of Romans on a kid's level aimed at kids eight to 12 years old. And he, he does mention that there's some points of reformed or covenantal uh, theology in there. So just be aware and discerning as a parent with uh, the theological background that you uh, want your kid to pick up. Uh, we are all dispensational. That's why we mention it. Uh, but so, uh, Paul's big letter, which is a kid's book on the book of Romans. And the other book is authorized the use and misuse of the King James Bible by Mark Ward. And he gives that an eight or a nine. There's a long paragraph here. I'm not going to read it, but Andy, you've interacted with this book. Yeah, I really like this book. So there's, there's two kinds of, well, there's a couple of, but one kind of a book D that that's discussing the King James only controversy is going to look at the underlying text issue. So what is the foundational text issue? And my favorite book in that category, even though there's plenty others, um, is by James White called the King James only controversy. 
What Mark Ward does is he really helps us because he looks at English, the English side of things. Hmm. And his key, his key idea is false friends. And it's like words that not only do they not mean what we think they do, they mean the opposite. So <laughs> I, I love this book and I think it's, that's a great rating. Yeah. Do you have any interaction with it, Tim? Yeah. It's in our bookstore. We normally stock it. And, uh, <laughs> Does Tim have any reaction? Yes, we can sell you that book. We can sell it to you. <laughs> he does have a pretty good working memory, functional memory of what he has in the bookstore. He does. It's impressive. It's pretty impressive. I order all the books. So when somebody <laughs> calls in and say, hey, do you have this book? And I've never heard of the title before. You know, Nope. No. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> I don't answer the phone too often, but it's a little unfair when I do and my employees see me and I just say, no, we don't have it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, authorized is, uh, we normally stock it and it, um, it really does a great job just even dealing with some of the issues and, or maybe even not issues, but, but difficulties with the KJV, like false cognates where you think it means one thing, but the meaning of the language has changed. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of really simple things, short book, but um, if you just kind of want to get a little more familiar with that debate, it's an excellent read. Awesome. So the book that I have, I've mentioned it, I think, once or twice before. And uh, where I found this was a friend of the podcast, Dr. Josh Boyd. He gave me a list of books that are kind of a starter pack for classical education. And there's a handful of books on there that we've talked about. Like The Abolition of Man makes it, uh, multiple appearances on that list. And uh, this was on that list. It is the Seven Laws of Teaching. And the particular edition that I have is has a foreword by Douglas Wilson. And uh, he, he and uh, uh, help me with their church name. Um, Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. Oh, no. Uh, oh. They, have, they have a classical school movement. And oh, San, New St. Andrews College. New St. Andrews. And they, yeah. He's, oh, I don't know their, their high school, I guess. Yeah, they're big in the classical education stuff and... And so I, I got that copy and I've been reading it through and I signed it in a class I'm teaching and I really like it. We just finished it uh, going through it in the class and there's a lot of good things. Uh, so I'll just, there's seven laws. I'm going to really quickly give them to you. And I think they're helpful to think through if you are a teacher or you're discipling someone and you want to think through what what are the laws of this educational process. So law number one, it's the law of the teacher. The teacher needs to know what they're talking about. That's my paraphrase. You have to know what you're talking about. That seems pretty simple. It's a given. Law number two, the law of the learner. So a teacher who knows something and they're trying to teach, they need a student who pays attention to what they're saying. And that, that attention is a big idea in the chapter. Like you can force attention, but you want to stimulate like actual desire to learn. Then number three, law of the language. The language that's used between the teacher and the learner has to be common to the teacher and learner. Uh, so you, you have to be on common ground. The law of the lesson, number four, the truth to be learned must be learned through what is already known. So you can't just throw a bunch of abstract concepts at someone. You have to build the knowledge from where they are to where they are now, which I really like that. Number five is the law of the teaching process, and that is... The, the teaching process is that you excite and direct the self-activity of the learner and you teach them or tell them nothing that they can learn on their own. So it's not like uh, it's not like you avoid simple things, but the, the idea is, again, of stimulant. Like you're trying to give them a desire to go and find and search and discover. So you're exciting and directing self-activity. Like they're doing more learning when they're not around you on their own. Uh, then there's the 
law of the learning process, as far uh, opposed to the teaching process, the learner must reproduce in his own mind the truth to be acquired. So like there's a personal apprehension of what's being taught. It's not just a knowledge dump. And then the last one, the law of review, the completion test and confirmation of teaching must be made by review. Uh, so just if you follow that template as a teacher, as a discipler, there's some really nice practical nuggets. But the reason why this is really good is because of the way John Milton Gregory approaches education. He does not view education like most modern minds do, which is a search for an answer, a search for pragmatism or practicality. Education to him is holistic. You do not have knowledge if it doesn't affect your mind, your intellect, your will, your affections. Like it's all, it's the soul. Mm-hmm. And he's Christian and he, and pretty much every law he applies in a specific, specifically Christian field. Now, I don't know exactly his personal Christianity, where he was doctrinally, you know, how fervent or uh, similar we would be, but he, he definitely hits on some things that are really good. There are a lot of nice quotes in here. Let me look at the time. I'm just going to really quickly, there's, there's a portion where he talks about the moral intellect. So the intellect, which is like your intelligence and the moral intellect. So like a modern mind would disconnect those ideas. Like a thought is a thought. There's not morality to it. And he's like, that is dumb. Every thought is moral and it affects your will. So let me read here. Our whole discussion thus far has taken for granted the intimate and indissoluble connection of the intellect and the sensibilities, the inseparable union of thought and feeling. So thinking and your affections to think without feeling would be thinking with a total indifference to the object of thought, which is absurd. And to feel without thinking would be to feel without knowing what we feel, which is impossible. Mm. Insert right there, mm. abolition of man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lewis gets all over that topic. Now, as most of the objects of thought are objects also of desire or dislike, and therefore objects of choice, it follows that all important action of the intellect has a moral side or quality. And this too has been assumed throughout this volume. This moral side of the intelligence may be called the moral intellect, the intellect working in the field of the moral life. The love of knowledge for itself or its uses is moral at the bottom, as it implies moral affections and purposes of good or evil. All motives of study have a moral character or connection at their first or second step, and hence no education or teaching can be absolutely divorced from morals. No education or teaching can be divorced from your morality. Man, that's good. So when you, in education, take theology away, and you don't believe that there is a right and a wrong, are you actually educating are you conforming people? Great thought question there. Mm. The affections and conscience always come to school with the intellect. Oh, such oh a good that's quote. good. Wow, that's quotable. The affections and conscience always go to school with the intellect. Which means if you ignore the intellect. But here, got two more paragraphs. Got to keep going. Okay, but go. the moral intellect or cognitive conscience, as we may call it, finds its fuller sphere in the recognized domain of duty. And he's not meaning like, yeah, I have to do things, but it's like this patriotism idea. The higher realm of the affections, the virtues and religion, which again, Lewis picks up on that in the abolition of man, big time. From these, the mind borrows its highest and strongest strongest incentives to study and its clearest light and understanding. 
Let the teacher constantly address the moral nature and stimulate the moral sentiments if he wishes to achieve the highest success possible for him. This moral teaching was the chief excellency of, and he mentions a guy, I don't know who it is, Pestalozzi, I don't know who that is, uh, Pestalozzi's work, and it is a leading characteristic of every great teacher of mankind. He would get from the mind of his pupil its highest and most heroic efforts. He, who would do that, must appeal to its noblest sentiments, its love of God, its country, and its fellows, so love, its personal aspiration for a noble, useful, and beneficial life, its love for truth and goodness, and its purest hopes of heaven. If these sentiments are feeble or wanting, the teacher must build them up or he will fail. Then the very next section is the power of Sunday school, the church. And then I love this. The Sunday school ought to be the best and most successful of all schools because it is openly, freely, and fearlessly religious. The theology part of education is inseparable from the task. You're not actually educating if you're not hitting more than the intellect. And I think modern educators are deceived in thinking that they can touch the brain without a heart. And they're actually not. They're, they're cultivating a human who is morally deficient. He might know a lot of answers, but it's not a holistic education. So that perspective is in every chapter and it's really good. So I, I, I think I would rate the book uh, at least at least a six or a seven. I would have to probably read it again and go decently slower to pick up on some of the nuances of it, but it's a very good book. And if you're interested in education or thinking some of those things through, the seven laws of teaching would be a, a great starting block. So I've read that and Dr. Cole was the one who assigned me to read it when he Ooh. used to teach a class way back in the day called teaching secondary Bible, which is like teaching high school Bible. And it was one, his one class he taught in the education department. And so I took it with like a couple other people. So I had to read that for his class. And I remember it was so helpful just to, because I think I had grown up thinking teaching is like downloading knowledge. And, but I, I had forgotten a lot of that and you're reading that. I'm thinking, Oh man, that's, that's really cool. So, Ooh, that's a good book, man. And I just looked him up. You said you didn't know his religion, uh, religious background. If Wiki's lying to us, then I don't know. But he says he was born in New York. So there you go, Tim. Graduated from Union College. He was born in 1822. So it's a long time ago. He then spent two years studying law, but ultimately entered the ministry and became a Baptist clergyman. Oh, baby. So I got to find out if he's like a liberal Baptist. Enter him into the Hall of Fame. But if he is an alumni, then let's like, do it. There's classical education in the Baptist. <laughs> so it was Union College. Of course, they went liberal, but he may have been before that time period. Because yeah. that, that would have been around. Mm -hmm. I mean, Southern started going liberal in the 40s and 50s yeah. of well, 1800s. Well, so. Shed was that at Union yeah. in the late eight, 1880s. I, I know correlation isn't causation, but I can't, I just can't understand his mind from this book and think he was a theological liberal. Like, that just doesn't jibe to me. Like, there's no way that he was like, oh, the Bible's not inspired. Like, that would just shock me. He was before that time period, so yeah. I would actually be surprised as well. The yeah. liberalism, I mean, Shedd was still fighting it in the late 1800s, so but he was before that. It really wasn't until the mid-1800s when that's, like, coming across the pond. Right. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting, too. Um, book was written in 18, what was it, 68 or 18? No, I had it up. 1886. 
Okay. So just think through that. You know, sometimes we think we're so intelligent and bright, then we run into something that's over 150, well, like almost 150 years old. Yeah. And we realize, oh, yep. well, we're just batting around ideas that this guy had figured out. This chronological snobbery. Exactly. You might be familiar with Teaching to Change Lives, Seven Proven Ways to Make Your yep. Teaching Come Alive by Howard Hendricks. Great book. And I was just talking to a friend and he was reading this book and your book. What's yours again? Seven Laws of Teaching? The seven Laws of Teaching. And the Seven Laws of Teaching. He's like, it's the same. well, what are the seven? And then he realized that at the beginning of Hendrix's yeah. chapters, <laughs> he quotes Milton Gregory. <laughs> yep. So Hendrix is riffing off of this guy. So if yep. you're familiar with Teaching to Change Lives by Howard Hendricks, which is a really good book too, by the it's way. It's really good. Um, you would uh, really benefit from picking up John Milton Gregory's title. So that's like Hendrix's MO. His book, reading, uh, um, uh, Living, Living by the Book. Mm-hmm is literally the observation trip application. Mm-hmm. He's literally going back to Trina's original methodological Bible study and trying to make it like a lay level or repackaging yep. it. And I think that's what he does really well. And by the way, I have a signed copy that my sister-in-law, Julie Nichols, got me. So That's just, really cool. I know. Uh, one last thing. Shout out to uh, Just because of that like time era quality that we're talking about, the, what's the word that comes up with Coleridge's waterfall? Sublime. Sublime. The romantic movement. So thank you. I couldn't I couldn't think of the word in my mind, but like this sublimity, and that's kind of a it's in the discussion of a it's a beauty discussion. Mm-hmm. And when we hear the word sublime today, we don't have that connotation. But man, Gregory uses it all the time. And I actually brought it up in class and I was like, Do you know what he means when he says that? And it's like a modern context, we have no idea he's talking about beauty. Yeah. But he uses that term sublime a whole bunch which is just a cool cool connection because i guarantee lewis read this guaranteed um i was just looking that up actually i was like i wonder if c.s lewis has read this but i don't know that ha- that have to go from one side of the atlantic or over the other which usually it's the other direction so i'm i'm sure he interact i, I don't maybe not maybe i don't not, know but it just seems like kindred minds kindred souls there big time that or or and this would fit Lewis very well too. Maybe they were both reading the older authors. Could, definitely. That yeah. could be. Which that also happens too. They make references here to things and you're like, eh, Google it. You can figure out what they're talking about. But it's, <laughs> they're, all of their illustrations are either biblical or from a great work of literature. There's like no entertainment. Like the TV show, like we talk about The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings all the time, which were books, but we like, in our culture, it's like a reference to this entertaining thing and like it pulls people, but like all of their like grand illustrations are book, which, you know, anyway, Tim, you, you've got a book. Let's move on. Uh, so right now I am listening to with my children, uh, volume four of the inheritance cycle, the Aragon inheritance cycle. So that's one thing we're doing. I started listening to Frankenstein. I've been wanting to read that, but I found out it might be easier for me to listen to it. That one I'm doing personally. The book I want to highlight is one I talked about a few weeks ago, The Accidental Feminist. I've been uh, reading through that some more, nearing the end. This is uh, a book I've been even more impressed with, uh, including some of her exegesis. She actually shows uh, some greater knowledge of the Bible than most most, uh, um, female authors. She even mentions the Song of Solomon, uh, in the Song of Solomon, the married woman urges the single woman around her to not arouse her desires until it is time. I'm like, wow, she's actually familiar with the adjuration refrain. 
I don't see that very uh, com very frequently. So fun little surprise there. And then later on, um, page one sixteen, she writes, "We're endlessly having <clears throat> we're endlessly having the discussion about whether women can have a home life and a work life, and whether she can do everything with skill and ease. Frankly and understandably, I think a lot of women are just exhausted with it all." And that's what feminism has done. It's kind of overburdened uh, women, and she acknowledges that. And more and more, there's been a greater reaction against uh, the feminist movement. So I really do like this book. I'm just uh, throwing it out there. That's what I'm reading right now and still recommend it. All right. <clears throat> so I teach a class at the college that I work at, Faith Baptist Bible College, called Christian Experience. And it's a class on sanctification and salvation. So we start off with the doctrine of salvation for the first couple weeks. And for the rest of the semester, we walk through issues related to sanctification. And uh, I, I, my, my mentor, Jeff Newman, used to teach this class. And so I largely follow his syllabus pattern. And one of the most, he did a lot of really great things, but one of the most genius things he ever did is to take attendance the second week on like a Thursday is he would ask all the students to write any question they had about the Christian life on a note card and pass them in. They could ask anything, and then he would seek to try to answer as many as he, many as he could throughout the semester. So this is my third year teaching it, and so I've, I've had a lot of questions asked, and it's been really good. I've really enjoyed um, trying to answer these questions. And there's one that came in that I, I really thought was interesting. We answered it already in class, but I thought it might be worth batting around on the podcast today. So let's have a conversation about media and discernment. So here, here's the question that the, the person asked. What would you say is the key, biblically, to discerning what one should and should not consume in, the, in media and entertainment? So essentially, what's the key to discerning when it comes to media and entertainment? What's the key to discernment? So I have an answer ready. But I kind of wonder if I should let you guys take a cold take on it, or if you guys just want me to give what my thoughts are and we bat it around the after that. The key. So the student does that. The key. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the key, if we're going to take that as like the most important thing. Well, sure. Okay, so. Well, I've got an answer right away. I know what sure. you're going to say. You do? I, what is it's it? It's got to be something with the affections. Uh, yeah. Right? A little bit. Oh, man. So I think, so my first thought, and I'll, oh, and yeah. I'll the kick affections this, is I'll kick be really this over key. to Tim. What we just talked about with education yeah, applies it's really well. It's not an it's not only an intellectual issue. What is right, what is wrong? Oh, I'm not supposed to, don't do it. I can do it. It's so much deeper than that because it's not just your yeah. intellect, it's why you're choosing. Choosing is a will, a decision. Why you're choosing and that's probably because you love certain things. So it's a holistic decision. So how do you grow in all of those things? But and then, I mean, connected to that, how does whatever you're watching affect you? How bingo. does it yeah. shape your affections? <laughs> so did you guys just open my notebook a minute ago and read my notes? <laughs> no, we're just, we're very like-minded. <laughs> I was going to go to the fear of the Lord. Like yeah. if they wanted a key, okay, well, let's just go straight to the fear of the Lord. So that's where, but I've been studying that a lot recently. Proverbs chapter two, Job 28. And we do have all the way back in the annals of this podcast, episode three or two was the fear of, about the fear of the Lord. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like episode six or eight, but they Someone can look it up. There. I'll look it up. Tim, you keep talking. 
Oh, am I supposed to keep going? Oh, if you're no, if you're done, then I'll jump in. I just wanted to. See, I want to hear hear cold really quick before I. I went can down. give you an illustration. Sure, go ahead. So we were reading. And then I'll jump in. We were reading through, well, listening through, um, the first Aragon book, um, and there was a guy girl relationship, and I could tell that it was going to a certain spot, and I was listening to this with my kids, so I just kind of turned it off, and then I went back through and I listened to it, um, and it it wasn't it wasn't. Mm-hmm graphic it wasn't okay the words weren't bad words okay can i say it another way but it made you want what they were doing and so it was horrible so another way to say that it wasn't blatantly wrong yes uh-huh but it's unintended consequences yeah, it could shaped, lead you somewhere it was lit- it would it literally was very affections shaping and so there was no way i wanted my kids to like hear that or listen to it unless and i thought about doing this with them maybe like the older one or when they're older just say look at how they're communicating that and what it's doing to you so but i I haven't revisited it oh you were right i'm wrong learning the fear of the lord so episode two was don't read into this title which was about authorial intent oh so good Episode four, where mentoring came from. Oh, yeah. Man, we had some doozies back then. Those were good. Yeah. Back in 2020 when we COVID didn't really know thing. what we were doing and still figuring stuff out. So, can I, I have one more thought. Go for it. And I, I was going to say that you, you did the exact same thing that I was going to do, uh, where there are, th- and I recognized this this morning, there was something that I wanted to do, and you could never tell me. That is definitively wrong. But what made the decision to me was the way I was affected about the decision. Why do I want it? How strong do I want it? Where are those affections leading you? And that became the decision maker. It was it was effectual. That was the key. But there's other times where the affections are irrelevant because you know it's blatantly wrong. But so, uh, anyway, I don't know if that helps, but I'll kick it. This is, this is so amazing. This is just wonderful guys. Okay. So now I'll just tell you how I answered and you're going to see like, it's like (laughs) Venn diagrams that almost look like the same circle. It's like, we've talked about this before. So as I was thinking it through, um, I, I ended up coming up with essentially three questions that you end up asking when you're in a situation like that. And so Maybe for the listener's sake, I'll give, I've got like a couple of example questions you might have. So should I steal something? So the issue of theft, that'll be on the table for something we'll discuss. Um, Should I watch the television show House Hunters? You guys know what House Hunters is? Mm -hmm. It's like that. They look at three houses and no, but that's okay. okay. Keep going. I'm this, familiar with that. this I've couple just it. very quickly. This couple shows up and there's a realtor and they look at three different houses and they compare them and then they narrow it down to the one they're going to buy. And then they show them moving in a couple months later and it's fine, but there's an international version where they're like in Europe. It's, it's kind of cool. Mm. Uh, should I listen to music with explicit lyrics? That would be like swear words or immoral words or describing immoral actions or evil actions. And then lastly, should I play video games? And that could be on your phone or on your computer. So I didn't lead off with those. This was more of like organic as I was answering it in class, but it occurred to me that the first question, I'll, Charlie, I bet you can ask, you just, you just said this, but I'll, I'll just ask you, what's the first question you think most college students will ask themselves when there's one of those issues on the table? What does the Bible say? Yeah. What does the Bible say? And essentially, now that's, 
that's partly accurate. So you you should listener, you should say, what does the Bible say about it? But probably the it's, question it's not, maybe not partly accurate. It is accurate, <laughs> but it's just not. Sorry, it is accurate. Sorry, I'm, I'm if it I'm, says it, it says it. I was yeah. I'm on a little bit of low sleep, but okay. you're correct. You're correct. It is accurate. But what I actually want to point out is there's a problem with that question. Right. Okay. It's incomplete in some way. Right. That's generally, I think the question they're asking is, what is wrong with this? And that's what you literally just said. So in three questions that you would ask in a discernment situation, the first one you're going to ask is probably what's wrong with that? So when you say like this, what's wrong with this? What's wrong yeah. with that? You're pointing at the action. Like, yeah. What's Video wrong games, with watching music the show? with explicit lyrics, house hunters, theft. Yeah. That sort of thing. So what was wrong with that? So um, let's start with watching house hunters. What's is it? And, and generally what this is going to lead you to look for is what you were saying. The, you said blatant yeah. errors. Objective. Yeah. And I would say that if you're, if you're asking, is it biblical and you're looking at the question, what is wrong with it? Probably the parts of the Bible that you're thinking of are prohibitions, like thou shalt not statements. But Andy, all things are lawful for me. Oh, that's coming in my third question. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, no, no, no. That's But that's good. <laughs> so generally, like, is there anything wrong with watching like a couple go and pick out a house? I mean, unless it's like a whorehouse. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like. Maybe I shouldn't say should that. should be okay. It should be okay. All right. Is there anything wrong with... Kind of boring if you ask me, but whatever. Yeah, well... Keep going. <laughs> Sorry. Is there anything wrong with stealing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That one's pretty easy, right? Yeah. There's a thou shalt not steal. Yeah. You know, anyways. So that one, I've got a clear prohibition to not do it. But if I only ask the question, what's wrong with... Do you know what I can do every single time? Almost... I can justify it. Mm-hmm. Even the stealing, I bet you I could I could tell myself I'm just borrowing it temporarily and I'll put it back. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is that it is a good question to ask, like what is wrong with this thing? But if that's all you ask, it's only it's kind of limiting you to the part of the Bible that you're going to be looking at. So I think another question you should ask is just flip it around. What's right with that? Okay. So thieving that's off the table. We got a clear prohibition against it. Let's talk about video games. What's wrong with video games? What's wrong with like playing Madden? What are we up to? Madden 29 and a half or I don't even know. Madden 5000. I don't know. I don't play football games. It's been a few years. What's me. what's wrong with playing a football game on a PlayStation or a Xbox 21 or whatever they've got these days? I, mean, I don't think so. I mean, unless there's like immorally dressed cheerleaders, unless there's like horrible language, which I'm pretty sure they don't really have either of those. Things. I don't think, yeah. I, I think probably on the prohibition side of things, we're not really going to find anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then really that would pass pretty much with flying clothes. Clash of Clans. They're, like there's nothing really bad in that sense about Clash of Clans. So now let's flip that around and ask what's right about both of those. I, I think there's probably some right things. I'm not saying there's not any As long right as things. the bears win, it's all good. Oh, bleh. It, can be a, it can be a time perhaps of fellowship with yep. uh, mm-hmm. a friend or. Yes. Yeah. And I think we talked about this mm-hmm. like three episodes ago or a, uh, it was, it was recently. Mm-hmm. Like part of when you ask what is right about is it will show you like the benefits. And so we talked about clash was a way that we got to know more guys in yeah. our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, when social media first came out, I got to know this one guy in church just through Facebook messenger. Cause he happened to be on Facebook when I was, and that's a totally different listener to the way Facebook is today. 
So I do think that asking what's right about it can help you, but you need to know one more thing if you're going to answer that question. So if I say what's wrong about, I'm looking for prohibitions. But if I say what's right about, it's almost as though I need to be very clear on what my biblical marching orders are. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. If my job is to live, to glorify the Lord, to uh, carry out the Great Commission, to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbors myself, those are right. Those are like positive instructions. Now let's compare. Does playing a football game by myself allow me to do that? By myself. Maybe I'm enhancing my skills for our fellowship later so that I can ooh, beat ooh. my buddy more thoroughly. Ooh, this is good. Okay, okay. That's good. I like the I like the justifying mind there. That's really hey. good. <laughs> Had a lot of practice. Well, I would say I, I would say there's probably other elements. Are you is this like your your 30 minutes a day where you're relaxing? Okay. All right. I'll I'll carve out some room. Are video games relaxing? Well, uh, to, to disconnect, whatever you want to say. To the extent that they're distracting, maybe. I'm going to say, though, that I don't, I don't think they're actually helping me in the Great Commission. I don't think they're actually helping me necessarily love God. I don't even think they're helping me to see the glories of his creation. Granted, a human being did have to create that. Now, let's shift to house hunters. What's right about house hunters? Especially if it's like the European one, I'm like looking at God's creation and I'm like amazed by it. So maybe I've got a little bit more of a past there. But do you see how like if I'm asking these questions at a certain point, it could sound like I can't do anything. So I'm trying to figure out how to avoid that. If I ask these questions, I may not be able to do anything, but no, maybe I need to have that on the table. So I think I've got a third question that helps us. So number one, what's wrong with this biblically? Number two, what's right with this biblically? And that requires that I know what my life is. If I think my life is my own and I'm just supposed to live to be happy, then what's right with this is going to be shaped very much by that. So the deeper and the more thoroughly and the more consistently you know and are in God's word, the more you sit under God's teaching and preaching in your local church the more you have a consistent walk with God, I think the better you'll answer number two, but I think it's dependent on you, the person. So my third question, I think that helps us to think discerningly is what is this, whatever it is doing to me? And this is where Tim, your affections thing comes into it. We've talked before about video games. A lot of times the people who play them want to live in this world where they can be successful and like succeed, but there's very minimal effort. Okay. Sometimes it can be that I want to win. I never win at life. Like I never do. But if I play my video games, man, I'm the winner. So I think that that could be cultivating pride, right? I don't think house hunters is necessarily sin, but in my own life, I noticed something a while back. Every now and then we'd watch it and it was kind of fun because we can't travel where we don't have money to travel. We have small kids that make it hard. But it's kind of fun to watch someone buy a house in like Europe or somewhere else. It was probably when I was doing that contentment series, this is my guess, a couple seasons ago. But I noticed that while I don't think there's anything sinful about watching people buy houses, you know, or and I, I think it's glorifying to God to see how great the whole globe looks that he created. I did notice that what the show was doing to me was cultivating a discontent in my current situation. And so here I am looking at my house, not really 
liking it as much, looking at my current setting, not liking it as much. And so it began, I wouldn't say that the show was wrong. I want to be clear about that, but it began to do something in my soul that I saw wasn't good. So for a time I quit watching the show. Now, doesn't that sound kind of embarrassingly silly? You're watching this stupid house buying show. And now I'm like, oh man, I've got to like put that down. It's humbling. Go ahead. Well, and just to point out all of those shows and you could enter into the discussion, all of those movies, yep, all of those mm-hmm. songs are designed to yeah. cultivate that Yeah, because they They're want selling you to you consume them. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get you to want it. Yeah. And yep. some of them, those producers are really good at what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They can really cultivate your affections. Now I would say, I think for me, it was a personal issue. And I think what I want to point out here is that sometimes there is something that one person you know will abstain from for a reason. So for me, I, I kind of quit watching them for a while and thought about what was going on inside. And that was good. Now I can watch it now. I'm fine. But I think if, imagine the difference though, like if I only ever asked the question, what's wrong with this, I would never, ever get to that point in my spiritual walk. But if I'm asking what is right about it, isn't like, what does God want me to do? And does this help me to do that? And then what is this doing to me? So I don't know if either of you have ever had a hard, like a challenge in having a potty mouth. I'm guessing Tim, you never really were a potty mouth guy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'd have to ask my mom. I don't remember. That was a long time ago. <laughs> so I was public school and on the playground, we could curse like sailors. Let me tell you. Okay, so I don't know. I, I didn't have that problem. Okay. Yeah. And then I worked around a, a certain group of society that <clears throat> swearing was like their second language. So there was a time in life where it was hard and it was because being around it so much cultivated number one, the anger behind it. And then number two, I had the vocab in me, my name, my, my mind presently. And so that's largely gone. I don't hardly ever does any of that pop back as even a temptation, but there was a television show. I not at no swearing in the show. That's what I got to understand. I got to tell you, there's no swearing in the show I'm talking about. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's just a television show. It's a sci-fi thing. It's nonsense. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But I remember I watched it at that time in my life and I hadn't seen it in years. And like 20 years later, I watched a couple episodes and the weirdest thing happened. And I don't know if it's how your brain works, but like in moments of frustration, like weird words would want to come to the top of my mind that I hadn't thought of for years. I could not figure it out. And my assumption is it's just something connected. So Again, I don't think the show that I was watching is sinful per se, but I'm trying to be aware what's this doing to me and is this what I would want inside of me? So it's funny because as I was prepping, there's two things that happen as I'm prepping this, like these thoughts to share. Number one, we start off with a, what's the prohibition and where we're ending is essentially your book you're writing. It's sanctification. It's paying attention to what's inside of you. It's paying yep. attention to what trials in your life and what those reveal about in your soul. It's, it's literally the answer. Yep. And I think sometimes when, it, when a person wants to know, like, how do I be discerning in media? I think what they might want to know is a checklist that they can check off and then have freedom to go do what they want. But I think it gets cumbersome after a while because I think the question of discernment in media is actually the question of sanctification and your walk with God. So that was number one. And then number two, this started to feel really familiar about 
like 20 minutes before we aired this and I couldn't figure out why. So listener, if you go back to episode 79, we actually talked, I actually talked about some questions for discernment from a book by Jerry Bridges, the pursuit of holiness. Mm. And he does it differently. He has four questions. Is it helpful? Uh, does it bring me under its power? Does it hurt others? And does it glorify God? And those are all from first Corinthians uh, six, eight and 10. And I like that, but I think, and so I don't think I've overlapped that too much, but I do think if you can think of these three questions, what's wrong about it? What, what's wrong with it? What's right about it? And what is it doing to me? I think that would actually help you to, to answer questions about media, but not just media and entertainment, like a whole host of things in life. All right. So you guys have any final thoughts on that before we end? What was your last one again? Uh, question. Yeah, the last, last question one. is, what is it doing to me yes. or in me? When you think of what is it doing to me or what is it doing in me? Okay, so a lot of times these entertainment, particularly like the video games, what they do is they just kind of suck you in yeah, so that you just want it and want it and want it. Now, when you're meditating on that, okay, and you see what's kind of going on, all right, and as a result, you want that, then there's something else in your life that ends up disappearing or getting less or less or it gets less interesting or you just like don't understand or don't care anymore okay so what is that that's just happened that's the cultivation of your affections yeah you and love you something just, different yeah yes you're just getting sucked yep. into that so much that this other thing that you should love that's biblical to love that's going to make you a tree okay steadfast and firm okay psalm chapter one is now not present in your life so you're now becoming the chaff that just gets blown away um so anyway that's kind of just a little tag on to what you were talking about no and and that was first corinthians 6 12 says paul's responding to their chart their their truisms and they would say all things are lawful for me and then paul says but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And I do think that the domination or the enslavement, like I love it so much, I will not not serve it. And they're just cultivating that love. So uh, another aspect of this is even uh, child rearing. So I have four sons and um, uh, thinking through how to cultivate affections and so that they have this discernment of what's going on inside of them as a parent. Uh, I would just encourage you to think through video games, particularly children, typically my, I don't know, you can, I guess, evaluate your own kids. I'll speak for my own <laughs> and from my own personal experience growing up. It's like letting a two-year-old play in the street. If you're letting an 11 or 12-year-old boy, you know, play, I don't know, yeah. some kind of console yep. game. All right. Um, they really just don't have the discernment to figure out, oh, wow, I just really, I just played that all morning, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, or they're just, they don't, it's letting a two-year-old play in the street. And then what's happening with that cultivation of the affections. So it's just kind of a little tag on as you're seeking to cultivate biblical habits and godly affections in your children. This applies to you. And then it applies for those to whom you've been entrusted. Yeah, I completely agree with that. As a child who, uh, I don't know if my mom will ever listen to this, but, uh, I'm incredibly thankful that my parents gave me a long leash, but uh, when the leash gets long, you trip over it and you choke yourself. Um, and so, like, yeah, that was sorry. Great. No, that was really good. But uh, like, I I played video games and I would ask for a video game and they would get it. Like, there was no like I don't know about that one. Like, shouldn't it, it, it just 
I don't think uh, there are games that it's just like don't play that. Mm-hmm. Like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, like, that one was the don't classic. Don't play that. Yep. Like, that's dumb. Like uh, my dad didn't like games that. Uh, again, this is a. It's a. What is it exalting? Yes. And nope. exalting violence. Uh, like Call of Duty. Like I really think if you're going to play that, you have to think that through. Mm-hmm. Like there's, and we, we talked about this or did we talk about this? Maybe we, we have a plan for an episode, but like how blood sport was viewed as in, in early Christian circles. Oh yeah. Yep. Like when you think about Rome and the Colosseum, like, and, yeah. and how they would have absolutely abhorred something like that, but we're okay. Like, Oh yeah, we're on teams and we're killing each other. Like, uh, I think ethically, morally, you want to think that through. There are just things that you probably don't want to play. But I do think that there are games that are, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Yep. And so I, I just, I want to bring like a little bit of balance to the force here, uh, where there, I do think that there, once you've said it's not wrong, that doesn't necessarily mean it's, I don't think anything's neutral. Yep. So once it's not wrong, it could be okay. Yeah. But then it becomes a level question, like how okay? Mm-hmm. Is it just like, eh, okay, fine. Is it good? Is it better? Is it best? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't think we should try to fool anyone that <laughs> like we're not, we're not monks. Like we're not always no. like, we're not batting a thousand on. I only choose the excellent things. We've all eaten at McDonald's. Okay. Like we have base tastes and that's okay. <laughs> um <laughs> And so I think with when you get into entertainment and I think a family changes everything, which obviously I don't have that experience. Normally what I partake of, it's me and maybe a couple of buddies, but I don't have the issue of, is there a kid learning from this at the same time as me? Mm-hmm. And so that is a huge contextual point. Uh, but I do think that there that's a good, think through the scale. Like if you were going to put this on a wrong, uh, good, better, best, you know, where would you place it? And sure, you can play video games with your friends. And I do think that you can form friendships that way. You can form friendships a lot of ways. <laughs> like you can go do a bunch of random things. And if you're with the right people, you'll make friends. So I just try to give some balance there that you do want to pursue the excellent things. Uh, but it's not like, don't I, I don't, I don't want to make our listeners like hypersensitive to like, yeah. Get rid of every base desire. Like you can't enjoy anything that's not excellent. Like you must listen to classical all the time and you know, only like just you, you must go to the museum and stare at these paintings and which I do think that there's a reason why the high arts are the high arts. Uh but you know, just take it in take it in stride, I guess is kind of my point. And I think that was the struggle in my mind as I was walking through these three questions. I think they help. But what I couldn't figure out, and that's where maybe in a future episode, I'll try to like think it through more. But I agree, like, I mean, aside from some choices of our video games, we, we, we used to play games together, you and I, Tim. And I thought that was some fun times. Um, like, we went over to my parents a while back for a family gathering, and they have an old Nintendo Wii. And my son will do bowling with grandma. And, you know, it, it yeah. that's harmless. That's And that's thing. good. It's like... And so, so it's that's Ecclesiastes. where somebody's like, well, is there some kind of passages or whatever? Ecclesiastes talks about enjoying life. Yes. And the, yes. And, and being content with the substance yep. which God's given mm-hmm. you. Right. 
So you're not worshiping it, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you can enjoy the blessing that God's given you. And Grandma with Wii is a great illustration. Yeah. And I think like there was a video game that my brother and I used to play called Soldier of Fortune. It came out in like 2000 and it was a 32-bit or I think polygon mm-hmm. game. It was very uh, better graphics. No, it was a 64, sorry. But it was on a computer and the, the, the claim to fame was it was a first-person shooter and you were this mercenary and when you shot people... If you shot him in the shoulder, their arm would blow off. It wasn't like the same death animation. If you shot yeah. him in the torso, their body would pop in half. And so my brother and I thought this was amazing. Now, I do think like amazed at the ability of programmers to program all these other options. Like there's the, the, the ability of the programmers, okay, that's like sort of glorifying to God that humans can come up with that. But my brother and I are obviously not thinking that because we would kill a bad guy and then walk up and literally shoot the body until all the parts were fragmented. And there was like a, like a glorification of death. And I just, I don't see that being in line with the order of creation, but yeah, that's where I'm, I'm struggling to say where, so I think these questions help limit me in a way that's good, but I think I need more thinking and maybe we do that in a future episode. Maybe you got a thought. Oh, it's ongoing. It's on just like your sanctification is progressive and it's personal, your your development and cultivation of of these desires and affections are going to be progressive. And, uh, you can actually go forward. You can actually take steps back. You can retract on things. Um, but the the one thought that I think you you just slightly mentioned it, and I'd kind of give a plug. If you have the ability and you have a choice between playing video games, yeah, or doing anything outside, do it outside. Go, just go. and do things outside with your friends. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's nothing like innately theological about that statement. There's oh. no like. For me, was what I'm oh, saying. Like, as gotcha. I'm saying that, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not loading the gun with like a big theological statement. I'm just like, if you want to play good, better, best. I'm over here with Psalm 19 and Romans go, 1. Go, yeah. Go for a walk. <laughs> go, go hunt. Go fish. Go camp. Go do like, like you will make memories doing those things uh, that will far yeah. outlast the memories mm-hmm. of, remember when we played Smash Bros? Like, <laughs> it's just, those are, it's better. It's Here's just Samuel. better. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my last thought. Okay. So I, I think then maybe, I don't know, like to walk away, listener, don't, I'm thankful that we're trying to hit both sides of this, but so I would say this, I don't know. What, what do you, what do you want to say, Tim? You got a thought there. You All got right. a face. So, you, you made a face. Let's, you know, I, let's hear I, it. I got rid of games like a long time ago. And then the last what, three months ago, I think I one son wanted to play Brawl Stars. So I installed Brawl Stars and it's been something we've been playing and I've been just watching this. I've almost mm-hmm. deleted it and told them all to delete it like two or three times. Really? Because, yeah. Because I've seen what it does. Okay. And then what it's doing yeah. to my kids. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's my caution with like what you're mm-hmm. all talking about. And I haven't deleted it yet, but one time I'm like, okay, I know this thing keeps track of how long they're playing. Yeah. So I'm like, bring your device here. And it blew them away. And the one kid had no clue that he had played. At one time, I just let him go. I'm like, I'm going to let them go. Oh, and I'm, I'm just like, okay, you guys can just go play however long you want, okay? And they just went and went and went. And then the one kid, he just kept playing and playing and playing. And I'm like, how long do you think you played? You know, and he was off by like two hours or something. So that's what <laughs> I'm talking about with the yep. whole letting little kids go play in the streets. And then is this even something that I should be encouraging yeah. with my kids? You see what I mean? Yep. So anyway. And so when I answered this in class, one of the comments I made near the end was, would it be wrong for me if I have 
like uh, one of the students, they know I like Starcraft. And so one of the students said, Hey, would you play Starcraft again? And I said, Oh yeah, I'd totally play it again. Number one, it's super strategic. I love that game. Number two, it's a social game. So I would probably be playing you, or maybe if we got you a copy of playing you and I like that. But then I said, however, the, the main issue now is that like, I'm super busy. So when I go home at night, should I spend two hours playing Starcraft when the only time I have to spend with my wife without kids is after they go to bed? Like, and as a professor, if I'm not spending time with my wife, should I be reading a good book that would help me be a better professor if that's the ministry God's called me to? Now, the, the problem for me is that we're talking about video games, which I've removed from my life. But if we bring up something else like YouTube or whatever, I'd, I'd have to think through my life. There are, and I think that's what I'm trying to get at is there are some things that in and of themselves don't sound like they're sinful, but because of my personal sinful heart, I might need to deny that and give that up. So that's, I'm with you ish. So connecting to like Charlie's thing and with games specifically on Tuesday night, I go to the local game store, game castle, and we play a game called star Wars Legion where oh, yeah. we have just a fun time with, uh, some of the local, local guys that play the game. And I bring my kids with me. There is a social component to that, which is relaxing and fun. That's ex totally different than the experience mm -hmm. of playing Brawl Stars yes. with my kids, by yes. the way. I'll play mm -hmm. Brawl Stars with my children, okay? So there is a qualitative difference between those two things. And I would honestly say that the Legion thing is okay. I don't yeah. have a problem with that No, I would agree with you. I think there's okay. really good. Whereas the whole video game Brawl Stars thing, I have, I have some concerns for that. Yeah, and I will say the only thing, and then I'll, I think we better wrap up, is the culture connected to it. So if there was a, so like I have a friend who yes, gave his kid a, a skateboard mm -hmm. and built him a half pipe in the backyard and he didn't understand the rebellious sinful culture attached. And he looks back and regrets to this day, but you at the game store with the kid, that's totally mm -hmm. different. And right. if it was you, you yank him cause you're there with them. Right. So what do you do? Listener, what do you do? I would say, let's leave ourselves with a, just a, a word from, from Paul verse, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse one and two says, I appeal to you, therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I think that the bodies there is like your whole life. Okay. It's like, give your whole self to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That is that what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul goes on to say a lot of really great things. I just want to leave you with verse nine. Verse nine is a, a great verse. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So as you look at entertainment, as you look at ways to relax and enjoy your time, ask yourself this question is what you're enjoying evil. And are you holding fast to that, which is evil or are you abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast.
read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.